The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, episode 833 for Monday, September 14th, 2020. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take them all, we mix them into an agenda, we smash it all together, we mix it, we mash it. And the goal is, hopefully coming out the other end, something that results in us each learning five new things every single time we get together, which is generally weekly. Sponsors for this episode include Barebones at Barebones.com, Cashfly at Mac.Cashfly.com, and a new sponsor at Nebbia, Nebbia.com with coupon code MGG. We'll talk about... All of those shortly here for now here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And, and John- also here in Fearful, Connecticut. Uh, some of you may know uh, Barry. Uh, my friend Barry is in town. So uh, Barry's going to uh, sit in and uh, coach me or uh, make sure I don't screw up more than usual. I don't think Barry can hear me, but uh, Barry was the first of our premium subscribers. So thank you, Barry. And you'll hear this later, I suppose. So there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, we've got we we reopened the Wi-Fi slash networking floodgates a couple of weeks ago. We've held the follow up questions. We've held the follow up tips and all that stuff for as long as we could. Not that we really like to hold those, but, you know, it's good to, to let them sort of percolate a little bit sometimes we like to let things percolate here uh but it's they've percolated folks so let's dig in let's do some network stuff then we've got uh some sort of interesting general geeky questions and challenges uh some follow-ups unrelated to networking and then assuming we have time which we probably will uh we've got some cool stuff found in fact we have an overflowing list of cool stuff found so that's what's on the agenda today john you want to take us off uh take us off i don't know what that means you want to start us with todd i will start us with todd um uh todd may be a future uh, developer here all right i'll tell you why so uh todd uh says attached is a screenshot from the option wireless icon in the menu bar where it shows a transmit rate of 780 megabits per second. Also attached from network utility, um, which is a uh, built into Mac OS, um, shows a link speed of 304.2 megabits per second for the, uh, the Wi-Fi interface. Um, obviously these are different metrics. Can you confirm that the transmit rate is the maximum possible transfer speed? I can expect, uh, an Aero pro, um, and the link speed is what my computer is actually able to receive. Uh, and also why does I stat menus show my link speed is 867 megabits per second. All right. Um, the thing is, uh, uh, so the transmit rate reported by ISTAT menus and the one reported by the airport menu should be the same. Uh, and actually, the screenshots he uh, he sent us, uh, they are the same. Okay. Um, now, 780 and 867 are both valid 
uh, values for 802.11ac, and a Wikipedia article shows as much. Um, there's a another thing related called, I think, the MCS index, um, which also is an indicator of what uh, the maximum speed uh, is that's negotiated between uh, your computer and the uh, the Eero. Um, Here's the good news. Uh, again, you may have a future as a software tester. What he's seeing in network utility, that um, 300 value, 304.2, is wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's a bug. So the first problem is that that is not a valid uh, 802.11ac link speed. If you look in the chart, you won't find a 304.2. Um, here's why it's a bug, Dave, is that um, so I ran the network utility on both of my machines and, um, even with the Wi-Fi off network utility still reports the link speed is 304.2. And actually I bet if you ran it right now, you probably see the same thing. So this is a bug in the utility. Um, you are right. I have, I see 304.2 <laughs> and my Wi-Fi is connected. Like, look at that. Looky here. Yeah. Huh? So for this metric, don't trust don't trust network utility because it's wrong for the other interfaces it's interesting is that it shows the you know like for for gigabit you know it'll show one gigabit per second for your ethernet uh if you have an ethernet port sure um but yeah for whatever reason this value it's it's confused i I don't know why it says 304.2 so ain't right but Mm -hmm. but it's consistent so you know like there's that I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, oh. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting it to go to, I mean, it, it should be zero if the interface is off, but it's not. It's always that value. Yeah. Mine is go on. Figure. I mean, my, my Wi-Fi is on here, but um, my, mm-hmm. my rate, my transmit rate in, in the option dropdown at the moment is 650, uh, you know, which is, mm-hmm. I believe, a valid number for 802.11ac. I've certainly seen it before, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. three or 4.2. Interesting. Right. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's an Easter egg. Let's, let's think about it that way. Yeah. I don't know the significance of that number. No, no, no. (laughs) It's a very, very well hidden Easter egg. I think is, is what Mm. it turns out to be. Yeah. All right. Uh, while we're on the subject, Andrew asks, he said, um, I want to ask about network speeds. He says, I've, I've been working with this for a while, and I still notice that my connection to one of my Eero beacons still displays as 118 megabits down and 12 up. Is this because the max speed that 5 gigahertz or 2.4 gigahertz can run at back to the main Eero? And do you have any advice on how I can get that speed to reflect my 400 megabit and 20 megabit, 400 down and 20 up that I have from my Spectrum cable service? Okay. So when you do a speed test like speedtest.net or whatever, you are seeing the speed from, and this is going to sound obvious, but bear with me. You're seeing the speeds to and from two endpoints, right? Your computer or iPhone being one of the endpoints and the other being the speed test server. Everything, including the endpoints, is going to show you the best speed based on the worst possible factor, meaning whatever the weakest link in the chain is, is going to limit that speed. Now, 
It could be the CPU on your device. It's probably not in this case, but I'm just throwing out for instances. It could be the speed test server being overloaded. Probably not in this case. But again, you know, important to know that each endpoint is a factor, as is every step along the way. So chances are, though, your speed is being impacted by something within your network, not external. Um, so, it, you know, it's probably Wi-Fi interference. Uh, you said that you're, Eero, you're connected to an Eero beacon, which is a Wi-Fi backhaul device. That's they, they don't have Ethernet ports, so that's how I know that. And the Eero beacon, therefore, you're doing uh, what we call multi-hop, meaning you're connecting to the beacon, and the beacon is then connecting via Wi-Fi back to, presumably, hopefully, just back to your Eero base and not via another hop, though that's possible, too. That That's how mesh can work. It's up to the mesh to decide which way to do it. Um, my guess is that you are doing multi-hop. There is some sort of interference happening uh, in your place that's either causing your backhaul between the beacon and the the main Eero to be slow. Maybe it's maybe your backhaul has to run on 2.4 gigahertz because it's too far, or maybe you're too far even from the beacon, and so you're running 2.4 instead of five. Or maybe there's interference, and like there's all these things that, of course, with Wi-Fi we don't get to see with our eyes, so it makes it fun to troubleshoot. But but that's that's sort of where this is going. So the first thing I would do is plug. Uh, a Mac via Ethernet into your main Eero, and I would test the speed there and see what you get. From there, you can then know uh, which, if you're getting your full speeds there, okay, great. You know that now you've you've identified where the weak link in the chain is, right? Because it's not up to that point. It's something further past that point. So now it's like, okay, connect Wi-Fi to the main Eero beacon and see because you should be able to get in decent conditions. You should be able to get 400 megabits over uh, Wi-Fi. It's not going to go much above 400 with your devices. You might get to five like on a good, good day. But but it's, you know, the, the, anything above like three, three fifty. That's that's starting to get in that range. But that that's your speed. So that's OK. Uh, so, you know, start kind of adding one more piece to the chain each time and see what happens. That's that, that's that's the way to do it. I don't know. What do you think, John? Uh, no opinion. OK. <laughs> All right. Um, I was we, reading something else. Sorry. OK. Yeah, no problem. We had uh, we had an interesting thing, a follow up from uh, listener Scott, who is uh who's also running euro he has a gigabit connection uh after hearing last week's show or the show from the week before i can't remember where we talked about how i realized that my ethernet connection to this computer uh had dropped down to 100 megabit and i have no idea when that happened he realized that his ethernet backhaul to his office had dropped to no backhaul or no ethernet backhaul his euro had taken over as the wi-fi backhaul because his ethernet cable in his wall had gone bad um, and it was only after listening to the show that, that this sort of triggered, which is, a, which is great. Like I love when, you know, when we can help people solve problems, even unintentionally, it's why we share the stories we share. Um, it's at least one of the reasons. And uh, the other is, you know, it's therapeutic because it's frustrating when these things happen. So Scott sca- shared the story with me and then he said, but you know, even with that, I'm only getting 700 megabit down when I test my, uh, connection. 
And he's like, I, I know I should be getting 900 plus. I'm like, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I have the same gigabit service. Like, you, you, you know, it should be in that 930 range. That's, that's about it. Over Ethernet, over Wi-Fi, no. Um, you know, but over Ethernet, yeah. And so uh, we started talking through a few things. And I started thinking, well, you know, Eero made some changes to their buffer bloat protection recently. They renamed it, John, from smart queuing management to like uh, optimize for streaming and gaming. Video, yeah. Yeah. And and so I thought, did they – I had tested it previously when it was, you know, called SQM, whatever, you know, uh, management. And I tested it with, with Gigabit and it did fine. But I wondered, did they change the algorithms – because when you're doing that kind of buffer bloat management in the router, it means the router is processing all those packets and it has to do it as fast as it can. And of course, there is a limit of the router's CPU uh, and also the way the software is written, like there's an efficiency built into this. And if you uh, if the router is the weakest link in the chain or the router's CPU or the router's software or the combination thereof is the weakest link in the chain then that can slow you down. And I've seen it with routers that can't do more than 200 megabits per second with their buffer bloat protection on. Uh, so I, I said, well, you know, just go into Eero Labs settings. That's where that is. And turn off Optimize for streaming and gaming or whatever it was. Instantly, his speed jumped to, you know, 930. So it turns out that Eero's buffer bloat protection can't handle gigabit speeds. Here's the really good news. You don't need it. If you have gigabit speeds, because if you have gigabit speeds, you have a Doxus 3.1 modem and your Doxus 3.1 modem does a pretty good job of managing buffer bloat all by itself. So you can turn that off and uh, and likely experience no, uh, you know, downsides and then you get all your speeds. So there you go, your owners. So, yeah, so it was an interesting little troubleshooting exercise while I was hmm. driving home from a band rehearsal, <laughs> which was fun. So. Nice. It never ends. Uh, John, you want to take us to Kenny? I will take us to Kenny. So Kenny wrote in and asked, I wonder if John was able to connect his smart light bulb after temporarily disabling 5 gigahertz and WPA3 on his Eero routers. And I did this last week, Dave. Okay. Um, right. We talked uh, about it. Yep. And here's the good news. Um, so, you know, I confirmed that, um, you know, they do have a thing where you can temporarily disable um, five gigahertz on the Euro um, if you want to connect a device that only speaks 2.4 gigahertz, which many of these Wi-Fi smart Wi-Fi bulbs do. Um, but that didn't uh, even though I did that, uh, the bulb still wasn't able to join the network. And I'm like, well, what could it be? And um, I think we're going to be shaking our fist here at Aero Labs because um, what worked for me, Dave, was disabling WPA3. Okay. Oh, so you tried that. All right. So it, that did it, huh? That did it. And, awesome. you know, when I got to the point where the bulb wanted to join my network, um, all of a sudden I got notifications from both Aero and my Thingbox saying, hey, there's a new device on the network, which didn't happen before. Excellent. So. Um, the bad news is that my other bulbs, um, I think there's something wrong with them. The Atomi ones, because they never, they, I never got to the point where 
I could join my network. Typically, you talk to the bulb first, and then the the bulb will will join your network. But I can't get these bulbs to beacon and you know advertise their SSID. So, uh, huh? You know, maybe, huh. maybe I'll give them a call and see why that is. You mean you can't I mean, get I the bulbs to, to like factory reset and and do that initial setup process? Correct. Yeah. Got it. They're, they're, okay. So they're, so they're what they say should happen in the app is that you know the once you reset the bulb, the bulb will blink, right. indicating it's in you know the the mode to join your network. And then it's supposed to advertise an SSID, which it never does. Right, right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you should. So yeah, I, you I, should be able to factory reset them. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, which if you can't, then I think you're right. Yeah. Give me mm-hmm. a call. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fun part is that this is a color bulb. So what I actually did is I put it outside, Dave, and yep. I make it yellow. Remember the bug lights? Well, it's, it's now a bug light. Oh, nice. Oh, dude. So I have a cool stuff found mm-hmm. to add. We this summer discovered a thing that I think has existed for a while. It's a company called Thermacell. It has been life changing in terms of bugs. It uses uh, little propane tanks, like tiny little propane tanks that you put inside either any of their units. And they come in different shapes and sizes and form factors and all this stuff. Relatively inexpensive. Uh, little propane tank that you put in. It lights a tiny little flame. Each little tank lasts like 12 hours or whatever which is great. And then you put a, a like a sheet of, of thick paper in that's been soaked in, in this like chrysanthemum oil or something. And essentially what it's doing is vaporizing this chrysanthemum oil. And it, you know, the, the, the claim is that it, you know, mosquitoes and other bugs don't like that. And so they just don't come around. It builds like a 15 foot cloud around you. It has been life changing, totally worked all summer. So if anybody needs that, I'll, I'll put that in. It's a little bonus. Cool stuff found. Uh, thermocell. So you can find them on Amazon. And, you know, like I said, they come in different form factors. Mm-hmm. They've got portable ones and they've got, you know, ones that look like little, you know, table lamps and things like that. Can't bring them on airplanes because it's, you know, propane cartridges. They don't, it's not good. So they have a, they do have a portable one that runs completely on like a battery and a, a, with different stuff. I haven't tested that, but the, yeah. So anyway, I don't know. You know, speaking of burning things, Forget. Uh, first, uh, Tangents, to wrap up Kenny's thing. Yeah, um, Kenny uh, also had um, WPA three on his setup for whatever reason um, would cause his internet connection to drop. So he disabled huh. that. Huh. Um, and he also reports that he so he has um, uh, feet. Bulbs, F-E-I-T. Yep. I think oh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're highly, um, highly, highly praised. Yeah. Yeah. And he confirmed that uh, disabling the five gigahertz was uh, work for him as well, mm. because those bulbs also speak only 2.4. So, um, Got it. but speaking of burning things, so I, I noticed this in my Twitter feed and I just found it kind of weird. So somebody was saying, oh, yeah, um, you know, when you go through TSA, uh, although you can't bring water and stuff through right dave correct <laughs> correct um they're like you can bring hand sanitizer through and i'm like wow yeah, more than three point. ounces of hand sanitizer that's correct they are they, yeah, they made an exception for for uh you know for uh, because of covid yeah yeah um do you ever hear of something called a molotov cocktail dave <laughs> i i have heard of molotov cocktails john i didn't expect <laughs> to talk about them this morning but uh sure yeah um 
last I checked, hand sanitizer has a pretty high level of alcohol. At usually at least 60%. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had a lighter, which I think you could bring on the plane too. Um, yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you do the math. Have you tried burning you hand sanitizer? I mean, I, I haven't, I, I wasn't sure if the gel component of it like mitigates that. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like throwing um, it out there. So I'll, I'll have to give it a try. I'll, I'll get back to you. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> let us know. Just don't do it on an airplane, please. You know, do it here. Right. <laughs> While we're speaking of, of things that are burning on a slightly more, on a much more somber note, I hope everybody that's being affected by the fires and the, the air quality and all that out West is, Ooh, is yeah. able to find some, some, uh, some relaxation and, and calm and respite from that. Cause I can only imagine how terrible that is. So, I mean, it, you know, our son reported AQIs of over 500 in Portland yesterday. So like, I, just, I can't. Oh yeah. Imagine. And I saw the pictures of like yeah. San Francisco, the, the sky is orange. It's like, it's yeah. Bad. yeah. So I hope you're all doing okay. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you here. I don't know what that would be. Uh, but even if it's just answering a question to, you know, give you something else to focus on, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is, is where we can we where we can be found. Uh, I think I heard you right, Dave. You said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You bet your bottom dollar. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, one more Eero question, and then we've got some other non-Eero uh, questions. I didn't quite realize that all of our first ones were, or a few of our first ones were all stacked up Eero, but we'll stick with it mm. for now. So do you want to take us to Andrew, John? Andrew has a question. Um, Eero has this special offer with Encryptomy as an affiliate software you can get a deal on when you have an Eero mesh Wi-Fi system. First, I am assuming it is just a discount subscription for signing up via Eero and that it is not built into the Eero router. Um, and then two, would you say it is possible to use ExpressVPN with the Eero router instead? And to answer those questions, yes, if you subscribe to the Eero Secure Plus package, you get one password, EncryptMe VPN, and Malwarebytes accounts. Um, and yes, you can run the ExpressVPN client with the Eero router. But what I think he's asking is, can the Eero act as a VPN server? Or client. Answer, I'm not sure which he asked, but I think the answer is the same either way. Right. Um, and the answer is no. Yeah. Um, that's just not something that the Eero does. Um, off the top of my head, Dave, I know that the uh, you can confirm this, but... The, the Synology RT2600AC has a VPN server, as and, do most of, if not all of their NAS units. You can install VPN server, and I'm actually running it right uh, on my Synology. Um, yeah, no, you're you're right so, about that. Yeah, and and the uh, most Netgear routers have an open VPN server on them, so you can you can VPN in that way. Uh, the Synology router also has a VPN client in it, which can be nope. great, right? So that you can take your whole network or segments of your network if you want to get geeky about it and tunnel them over a VPN. So, um, yeah. Right. So a lot of these solutions require you. Uh, the, so I think the, the gist of the uh, his question or towards the end, he says, well, I don't want to install a VPN client on all of my devices. Um, yeah. So he wants his router avoid... to be a VPN client. Right. Yeah. Uh, the way, the way you can avoid installing 
a client on either your Mac or your iOS device is they do have um, uh, built-in protocols um, on both iOS and Mac OS uh, to support a VPN. So if, if you have a IKE V2, an IPsec or an L2TP VPN server, then Mac OS and iOS can, the operating system itself supports those protocols. That's a really yes. good point. Yeah. And, and I know that you can do at least one of those with express VPN, I, I, off the top of my head, I forget which one. I, I think it's IPsec, um, but it might be L2TP. But I'll find a link and put it in the show notes just to head you down the right path. I've done it with my disk station. I wanted to put one of my disk stations on as a VP. You know, I wanted to install a VPN client on it, and and I did that for the disk station in it. But it it I didn't like. There's no Express VPN client. So I I just connected sort of like you said natively from the operating system to it. So you definitely could do that with your iPhone. Uh, honestly, I if if it were me and I had Express VPN, which it is me and I do have Express VPN, I find the client easier to use than managing the built-in VPN on especially on iOS uh, for sure. But if you don't want the extra app or whatever, you you could like you're to absolutely right, John, that you can just, you know, use the built-in stuff and go. So it's just the built-in stuff other than the IKE V2 sort of built-in client, the rest of the built-in stuff in in iOS, it's not all that robust. It won't reconnect if it gets disconnected. And so, you know, it's it's I mean, it works. And certainly, you know, it's great to have it there. So you don't have to worry about an app. You can just do it. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. So anyway. Yeah. And since I run OpenVPN, uh, there's a OpenVPN client that I run on iOS. And if I want to run it on my Mac, there's something called TunnelBlick. Okay. Yeah. Which is an OpenVPN client. Yep. So TunnelBlick OpenVPN client. I'll put it in the show notes. So there, we will have it. Right. Uh, Okay. Uh, Andrew asks, he says, I'm just wondering which power line type of product you would recommend in terms of speed and reliability. I'm considering using a pair of data over electrical outlet devices, which is power or power ethernet over power, essentially you know, not to be confused with power over ethernet Two very different texts um, to get a VoIP phone to work in my home. Yeah. One nice thing about power line versus say Wi-Fi is you do get a consistent amount of latency and it's generally very low. Uh, it's not, it does not fluctuate all that much like a, like a Wi-Fi connections latency would. Um, but, it, and it's usually it, in my experience with power lines, about three, milliseconds is uh is what that turns out to be so um all of the in my experience all of the gigabit power line adapters are basically using the same guts um so you know really just pick a pair of them that you like but here's the thing um you don't have to use the same brand necessarily. I would recommend it if you are starting from scratch just so that you don't run into some weird incompatibility thing, but they are all using the same standard. So if you wind up with multiple power line 
uh, products from different vendors, as long as they all support the same speed in the same way, you're going to be fine. And I, and I would definitely go with, you know, what they call gigabit. Uh, quite frankly, you're not, unless you've got really clean wiring in your home, you're not going to see anything over a hundred megabit per second um, with it. But for a VoIP phone, that's, you know, way more than fine. You're not, I mean, you could do, remember 4k video over Netflix requires 25 megabits. So you're fine with your VoIP connection. Uh, if you get even 80 megabits, which is about what I would find in my home when I was using Powerline regularly. Uh, I, I've mentioned it many times, but you know, switching to Mocha, was game changing for me and I highly recommend it. So if you've got coax on either end of wherever you need this line run, try Mocha instead. And we'll put, we'll put links in the show notes to both of those uh, adapters, but the, um, the Mocha stuff is great. Cause you'll, you'll get, you know, 800 megabits per second with that. And, and it's, it's real solid. So, so yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good. Any thoughts on that, John, before we move on to Steve? Nope. All right. Well, take us, man. Yeah. All right. So Steve says, we moved into a new house recently. The house is a two, it has two stories and a basement. The previous owner um, had and left installed a Luxul, L-U-X-U-L, um, wireless system. Uh, the system consists of a wireless controller model XWC-1000, and three Wi-Fi access points, model XAP-310. The access points are installed uh, over uh, using power over Ethernet, PoE. Um, so that's kind of neat. Um, two of the access points are on the second floor while one is in the basement. The access points are, based on my research, 802.11n, which is, I think uh, he puts here, uh, which you can get about 300 megabits per second. Um, and only on 2.4 gigahertz and no 5 gigahertz. Um, and he gave us a screenshot and it looks like it, it can support 5 gigahertz. He just doesn't have the right uh, access points. The right hardware. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now he also has an Asus RT3200AC, which obviously that does 802.11AC, as his main router and wireless access point. Um, and that's in the basement. The router is connected to the cable modem and our service is 100 megabits down and, and 20 megabits up. Um, I'm planning to wire the basement, probably cat six. Um, cause he has a friend with, uh, some of that left over, um, cat six being able to do gigabit. Um, yep. last I checked is, is the maximum speed. Um, you might be able to do tiles. 10 gig over short distances with cat six, but anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, carry on. Sorry. Um, and we have ceiling tiles that should make it easy. To add wires to my home office and the living room. There's already some ethernet cable left in the ceiling. That's not terminated. So it'll be easy to connect the second floor to the basement and the first floor with extra wiring, especially to my home office. I'll be able to remove some computers, smart TV, and a few other things from the Wi-Fi traffic. Not that I really have issues with the Wi-Fi at the moment, but I'm just thinking about streamlining things. For the moment, my Asus router and the Luxel system have two different SSIDs. One thing I could do, based on your previous comment, uh, would be to rename, uh, to make them all the same SSID. Right. Um, right. A longer-term solution could be to remove all of that stuff 
um, and by a mesh system. <laughs> um, and I think that about wraps up. Yeah, we, um, wraps up this plan. Um, okay. so I guess he just wanted to run this by us and, you know, uh, it sounds like a good plan. Um, first, uh, I think you should always use the same SS ID. Um, cause a lot of times the client is making the decision about which access point has the best quality, but you're not going to have that if you have the, the name is, uh, uh, different. Um, so a lot of times, yeah, the client makes the choice. Now the, the mesh system, I don't know if his mesh system will do this, um, but the mesh system may change things once the client connects. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things, Mu, MIMO, band steering, Wi-Fi 6, uh, all do smart things um, in that respect. Eero does some of them. I, I think, uh, I don't think Eero does Wi-Fi 6. No, Eero uh, does not have a Wi-Fi 6 product yet. That's right. They may. Uh, now, I don't know if that's in the uh, future. software or, or oh, no, firmware no, that's, update. That's hardware. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so they'd have to use a, a new chipset. Oh, Correct. bummer. Okay. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it, it, Wi-Fi 6 is 802.11ax, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. we went Wi-Fi four was was N if I'm remembering correctly. Wi-Fi five is obviously eight hundred two dot eleven AC, and then mm-hmm. and then AX is is where we wound up um, moving to Wi-Fi six. So yeah, no, that's new hardware. Um, it does operate in the five gigahertz and two point four gigahertz range. It also can mm-hmm. operate in the six gigahertz range. So that starts to get interesting with Wi-Fi six plus or whatever they call it. I, Mm-hmm. I try to keep this straight, folks. Yeah, so I looked at yeah. that Luxol stuff, John, and they mm-hmm. don't have what they call a mesh product yet. Now, what he described certainly sounds like mesh, but I think they're using the definition of mesh, meaning that it can do it over a wireless backhaul Whereas the system that he has in place is doing a wired backhaul, right? Where, mm-hmm. where everything's connected. So, so that's why they're not calling it mesh, which I mean, really both of those are mesh, but I get why from a sort of a marketing standpoint, they, they don't want to call it mesh until it can do it either mm-hmm. wired or wirelessly. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, now I like hearing and, and you know, the, the, the other things he said here. So I do like, hearing that he has some ethernet and he's going to be running more if at all possible, unless you need portability, you want to, you want to have a wired connection. That's just my humble opinion. <laughs> oh, it, well, it's, it's going, I mean, assuming you don't have problems with your wires, like, you know, I did, or, mm. you know, Scott did or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be more reliable and, and to, you know, to Steve's point, it does sort of declutter your wireless for the things that must run that way. So yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better. It's better to do that. So like for my yeah. Apple TVs, I run those wired, even though they would actually connect faster over wireless because they have hundred megabit ethernet ports in them. But you know, again, I don't need that mm-hmm. kind of speed to my Apple TV. So hundred is, you know, four times what I would ever need. So yeah, I would just stick with wired. It's mm-hmm. fine. So, yeah. So, um, as far as his comment regarding um, the Ethernet ports, um, even the first generation arrow that I have has Ethernet ports on it. So if you did get 
one of those, then you could use your existing cable to do the wired backhaul if you get the Eero. Absolutely. And I think most of the mesh systems, I actually dug up your article, Dave, I think almost all of the major popular mesh systems will support wireless backhaul if they have an Ethernet port on them. You mean wired backhaul? Or wired, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 I knew what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, you're right, they will. If they have an Ethernet port, they they will now. It wasn't initially the case, like the Netgear Orbi took some time to get there. Oh, it's right. still a little weird the way that it's there. Well, they, they, they're on top of a foundation that is not meant to do that. And so it was a bit of a, it feels like it was a bit of a hack to get it there, but it's gotten mostly reliable. Um, but if, yeah, anyway, I mean, the, the benefit of the Orbi is, is that they've got that super fast, you know, four by four wireless backhaul. So if you don't need that, if you have wires, I, the Orbi isn't what I would recommend anyway. You're kind of putting your radios in the wrong places because you can't use that one for clients. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, so I think Steve has a, a good plan. I think uh, so. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think he will want to replace his that Luxol system with something. I, I don't know that it would be a good idea to set everything to the same SSID Although maybe it would. I mean, the, 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 my hesitation comes from where we're taking his, you know, super hoopty Asus router with the 802.11ac chips in it. And then also putting his 2.4 gigahertz 802.11n Luxol system on the same thing. Now, presumably the clients would choose wisely and pick the right one. So it would be worth, yeah, I guess it would yeah. be worth an experiment just to make sure, you know, and check because you get to see, look at your router, look at the Luxol system, see what clients are connecting where. And, and if you like what you see, then that's great. Then you're good to go. So yeah, sure. Why not try it? But you know, do it. Yeah. Eyes wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Ditching it. I mean, the only thing is I hate throwing things away that work. <laughs> yeah, but with wireless stuff, that's what happens, man. It's just part of the deal, I think. Yeah, in the, in this case, and yeah, I I I don't know if I would consider purchasing, or I don't even know how much they are. Uh, you know, swapping out their two point four gig access points for the five gig. Um, yeah, yeah. If you like the way the Luxol management system works, then absolutely. And look at their; they do have a mesh system calling. They call it epic mesh which is great um Whoa. yeah i know dude it's epic it's got it but it does it uses a four by four backhaul again you might not need that so check and see how it works i'm i'm truly learning about this while we're doing the episode so i i, I don't know mm-hmm. enough to say like can that five gigahertz four by four backhaul channel be rep- repurposed as a front hall channel if you're doing wired backhaul for example that would be great if so with like the Netgear Orbi that we just mentioned, you can't. I don't know what tech, you know, and software Luxol is using for Epic Mesh. So I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, but maybe, maybe. Oh, all right. All right. Uh, where are we on time here? Oh, I have got my windows in the wrong spot. I have no idea what time it is. Um, we have a question from Ed. We might as well. We're getting geeky. So let's just stay with the geekies. Um, he says, I've got a web server where I run my family website. It's running on a Raspberry Pi using Apache and all the other great stuff on my home network. 
I have configured my Synology RT2600AC to port forward to the Raspberry Pi, and I use Hover's uh, DNS service to create my domain, which maps to my IP. Great, no problem. He says, I use Spectrum Cable for my ISP, and my IP address doesn't get updated, but maybe once a year. When that happens, I just update my Hover account. So essentially, no problem. He's got his Hover, you know, he's got his IP all good. He says, it works fine for me, but I have an issue. Frequently, when I open a web browser with my website as the homepage, the connection times out, or sometimes it connects after over a minute. While this is happening, I can turn Wi-Fi off and on on my iPhone and easily connect to my, oh, I can turn Wi-Fi off on my iPhone and easily connect to my website over cellular. So coming in from the outside works just fine. Coming in from the inside is where he's having uh, either timeouts or delays. He says, uh, I haven't tried connecting from Wi-Fi from an external location, like going to Starbucks and doing it. So I should try that. Uh, he expects that would work. And as do I, you know, if your cellular connection works, then that's that's a good sort of proxy for any external connection. Uh, he says, curiously, once I do connect internally, I can quit the browser and relaunch it and it works just fine immediately for about a day or so. But then the behavior repeats. This happens on my iMac and my MacBook Air at my and my daughter's MacBook. So it doesn't seem to be computer specific. It seems to be specific to my internal network. Is there something that is confusing the router when I go to the internet and get back in again, which is essentially what he's trying to do. He says, is there a log on the router that would tell me what's going on? So the feature that you're using is called NAT loopback or even better hairpin NAT NAT being the technology that takes the one IP address that you get from your internet provider and maps it to all of your internal devices you have a port forward from that one IP to one of your internal devices. And what you're doing is saying, I want to use the external IP to come back in so that you can use your, you know, www.mywebsite.com address as opposed to the 192.168.1. Whatever address totally makes sense. Lots of people do it all the time. I do it here constantly. Um, and it works as it does for you. So, What's interesting, Synology, most routers just support this by default. Sometimes routers have a way of uh, like an option to turn it off or on. Most routers don't. They just support it because there's really no downside uh, in most cases to having it just work that way. You're either going to use it or you're not. So hairpin NAT is kind of part of the, the you know table stakes, the default feature set. What's interesting is the way... Ed is describing his problem because once it works the first time, then it works all the time. So I'm wondering what the DNS kind of tree looks like here because DNS is one of those things that gets cached by your computer. So it sounds like for whatever reason, it's taking a minute or so for him to, you know, for his computer to do the lookup or his iPhone to do the lookup properly. And then it's like, oh, I got it. I, I know the address. I'm good to go. So I'm just wondering about that and wondering, you know, what DNS is set up like. It, it clearly is coming from the router if it's happening to all your devices, unless you've gone and put manual DNS entries in all of your devices. If you had done that, well, then shame on you for sending us down this path. Um, without telling us, but you know, it happens. It's fine. Uh, the, um, 
so I would go into, you know, into your, and, and this could be on any router in the Synology, it's called network center, but you know, you'd go into your, your local network settings and look at what you're pushing out as your, your DNS server. And you can see this on your Mac too. In fact, that's probably an easier way to start this process is going to system preferences network, click on whatever your, your interface is, ethernet or Wi-Fi. go to DNS and see what you've got there and see what order things are in. Really, it should just be your router um, and nothing else, you know, and, and it might be two entries for your router, one for IPv4, one for IPv6. If you're running IPv6, that's fine. But that that's all that should be there. Then look on your router and see. And actually, I would check both the local network settings as well as the Internet settings or the WAN settings to see what it's getting for DNS, because maybe your router's DNS server, whatever's listed as the first one on the router, cannot find your domain at hover. And so it has to time out there and move down to the second one and then get a successful lookup. So that actually based on the symptoms, now that I'm saying it out loud, John, that kind of sounds like where I'd go with this. I don't know. What do you think, man? You know more about this than I do. Okay. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I never, I, mean, yeah. I, ne- I never really heard those terms before. So mm. I'll have to go look into that. But, Sounds exciting though. Well, but you know, let's, let's take a, let's take it a, a step outward. Let's forget about the hairpin gnat and the loopback and all that. Like essentially what he's, what it sounds like he's having is a problem doing a DNS lookup for a specific domain where it takes a minute mm. for that domain to do its lookup. Because once it has it, the, the hairpin gnat is sort of, you know, that's all taken care of. So, you know, I wonder going, go into your, your router settings and change the primary DNS server on your router to be, you know, 1.1.1.1 or something so that you're, you know, you're using Cloudflare, you know, that it's, it's going to be more reliable maybe than your ISP. Maybe your ISP doesn't, you know, peer properly with whatever hovers doing. I mean, it should, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, now speaking of DNS, Dave, yes. I'm glad you mentioned it. Because I'm going to do a, a premature uh, uh, cool stuff found here. Okay. Um, I don't know if you uh, run Fing Desktop. You know, we yes. found, found it recently. Yeah. Version 2.2. Okay. They just upgraded it to version 2.2. And here's the new feature in it, Dave. DNS Benchmark. Oh, dude, really? That's great. Yeah, they, they added that in 2.2. Uh so I'm pretty excited by that, and I, I ran it, and there's a lot of DNS's services that I've never heard of before um, that cool. they identify, and they benchmark. So um, wow. so that's that's nice because, um, you know, there was this thing called NameBench, uh, but it doesn't really work that great. And we talked about, you know, there's a, a Windows one yeah. um, that you can run, but you got to run Windows. Right. Um, right. So the results that it gives are are you know, are, are decent. Sure. Um, but yeah, huh. it's, it's nice to have a native, uh, DNS benchmark on the, uh, yeah. Mac now. So yeah, Mac app and everything. That's great. That's great. And thing desktop that, that is a for pay. That is a subscription app. Correct. For that feature. Yeah. <sighs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If, if I recall, yeah. So they, they have, the basic package and then right. the enhanced package. And I think they 
upgraded you and I to the enhanced package. They did very um, kindly because they like us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right, that that feature may be part of the extended extended uh, package. Yeah, I can't tell from looking quickly here. We'll uh, we'll do a little research, but that's awesome. I'm glad to see somebody adding that to a Mac app because it's it's been tough for a while, right? To to well, do that. It's, a, it's a problem for a lot of people is that you yeah. know, everything falls apart if your DNS isn't isn't working. well yeah that's yes exactly that is the problem yeah cool all right well we've got some uh, some geeky questions to answer here we've got some uh, follow-ups and hopefully still time for some cool stuff found although uh, you know we spent a lot of time on networks so I don't know but the next thing I want to do is I want to talk about our sponsors for this week uh, as long as that works for you Mr. John F. Braun awesome all right our first sponsor is a new sponsor for us and that is Nebia by Moen. Look, when you get former Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers together, and they're focused on creating a superior shower experience while saving water, cool things happen. They started with a water-saving mission in Mexico City, where water shortages are a big problem, then came to Silicon Valley to raise money. Uh, Tim Cook was actually Nebbia's first investor. Up until that point, they were... Uh, self-funded. And now Nebbia by Moen is the latest from this company that's really kind of changing the way things are working. I am a little bit frustrated because because I, you know, I had the surgery last week, so I haven't been able to install my new shower head that they've sent me to test out because having my arms over my head for an extended period of time, you know, uh, doing various things, probably not the best idea at this point, at least not according to my doctors. So, uh, but I'm very excited to check this out because it, the way that it, it works is it's this spa like feel because Nebbia by Moen atomizes the water. And so it actually heats up the environment of your shower. And the the one they sent me has a, a wand on it, too. And you can turn both the, the shower head and the wand on at the same time to really kind of create this, you know, 360 degree style experience. Very cool stuff. Nebbia by Mullen starts at just $199. Previous models were like $500 and up. So this is a huge change for them. It saves 45% of water compared to a standard shower, but has two times greater coverage because of that atomization of the water. So it envelops you, you know, water can surround you from that 360 degree thing. And like I said, it gets warm and the spray force is more powerful than its competitors while saving, like I said, almost half the water. I am eager to check it out and you can check it out too, because they're offering you 15% off site-wide right now, just for being a Mac Geekab listener. They don't do this often. So like take advantage of this. So go to Nebia N-E-B-I-A dot com coupon code M-G-G gets you that 15% off. Again, Nebia.com coupon code M-G-G gets you 15% off. And our thanks to Nebia for sponsoring the show. BB edit. We talk about this all the time. We talk about it when they're a sponsor, as they are now. We talk about it uh, when because we use it all the time. So it just comes up naturally in conversation as well. And it truly is natural. We mean it when we say we use this all the time. I have it open on this computer right now. I know it's open on my computer down in the office because I use it constantly. In fact, my my son just started uh, computer science 
uh, school at, at Reed College out in Portland. They even mentioned BB Edit as one of the apps that he could and should be using. Of course, he's been doing stuff for us over the summer. As you know, he rebuilt the whole live.macgeekup.com page for us, and he used BB Edit to do that. And the reason he used BB Edit is because he was editing stuff directly on the server, and BB Edit lets you FTP or SFTP, depending on how you have things set up on your server, directly in, which means you can open. So he, he would have the file open in BB edit over FTP. And when he went to, you know, all when he just hit command S that saves it over the network link to the server, right? They've thought about all this stuff. So you get a really smooth experience. Of course, if you're using version control, which you probably should be, and you shouldn't necessarily always be saving to the server, you know, there's times where that works fine, and then other times where you want to use version control. Well, of course, it supports all of that, too. Got to check it out. Go to barebones.com uh, to download your free copy. You get 30 days of everything for free. After that, it, it actually ratchets back a little bit, but it might still give you everything you need. So check it out. BBEdit at barebones.com. Our thanks to BBEdit and Barebones for sponsoring this episode. Cashfly. You know about Cashfly because at the end of every episode, what do we say? We say the bandwidth to get this show from us to you is brought to you by Cashfly. And that is true. Cashfly can do more for you. I mean, it can do that if you need bandwidth. They're a fantastic CDN. We've been using them for well over a decade. Flawless. Because, you know, they know this is what they do. They are geeks about getting your data somewhere. They're also geeks about optimizing your website. And that's what you'll get at mac.cashfly.com. All your content will be optimized before it's delivered to visitors without requiring any extra development effort from you. And with the recent addition of Cashfly's flexible edge platform and implementation services, the capabilities that they have there reach far beyond those of any traditional CDN. You gotta check this out. They can do all your smart asset delivery, on the fly next gen image optimization, all of it. And the good people at Cashfly are even gonna provide a free optimization consultation just because you're a Mac Geek Cab listener. Just right. Free. Just for you. So you get to know exactly where your site stands today. They'll give you your Lighthouse score report and show you how they can improve that by like 60 points, which is amazing because it's out of 100. Go to mac.cashfly.com, M-A-C.C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Our thanks to Cashfly for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to uh, you want to take us to James there? I think you might be muted, Mr. Braun. On your end, maybe? I don't think I muted you here. <laughs> no, there we go. All right, Yes, cool. I was. <laughs> I mean, I did mute you here, but then I unmuted you, so I had you covered. All right, you want to take us right. to James? All right. James says, I often am remote to a client and cannot perform a boot to safe mode because I am not there to hold down the shift key. Is there a command I can run from the terminal or an app that will cause the Mac to boot into safe mode? On the next boot. All right, James. Good news, bad news. It's kind of a geek challenge, I think. So the good news is that, yes, there is something you can type in the terminal to boot into safe mode. Um, there's a dandy article titled Boot Argument, boot argument Options in OS X. And there's a specific one. So, so it actually writes something to uh, the NVRAM. And in this case, what you want to do is sudo nvram 
boot dash args equals double quote dash x double quote. Um, I've tried this a while ago. Um, so that's the good news, Dave. Uh, here's the bad news. Um, uh, you got to disable system integrity protection in order for this to work. If you type it in right. and SIP is enabled, it'll say something like operation not permitted, I think is what happened to me. And when I tried this, I'm like, you know, why, why is it, you know, it used to work and it doesn't work anymore. So, so that's the problem, Dave. Um, so disabling system integrity protection, uh, quick and dirty is you boot into recovery, you go to the terminal and you type CSR util space disable, and that'll disable, um, system integrity protection. The problem is, I don't know how you can remotely get yourself into recovery. So, you know, he, he either have to get the client to do it and, and type it in, but it sounds like he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a chicken and egg scenario here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So unless somebody knows of a way to get into recovery remotely, I, I don't think there is Dave. Yeah. You know, there like, there's something in the back of my head saying I heard about someone needing to solve this problem while I was at Mac tech once, because you know, like there's, there's a good contingent. There's a lot of like, you know, solopreneur lone wolf consultant types there uh, at that tra- at that conference every year. But there's also, you know, a, a contingent of of uh, like enterprise folks as well. And it seemed like this came up. So I'm I'm wondering if there is a way Kiwi Graham in the chat room, who is a consultant, says that uh, he's looked into it and hasn't found anything uh, but, uh, but, and Brian Monroe in the chat room at live.macgeekgab.com, as I mentioned during the sponsor spot there, uh, says, I wonder if Apple support could do that. That's a good question. That's bad. Cause sometimes they have magic that they can do. So yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I like it. Huh? huh. If anybody knows, let us know, you know, we, uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, all right. You want to, uh, it's, it's, you're on a roll, man. Take us to Neil. Yeah. All right, Neil. I have found that under Catalina, whenever I save a file from BBEdit that contains code, it seems to be getting saved with the quarantine extended attribute. Um, I realized this when I was writing a short Python script and could not execute it with a strange error from ZSH. When I look closely at the file, which did have the execute flag set manually by me with chmod, I saw this attribute was set and removed it with xatr, x-a-t-t-r. Yeah. yeah. Um, it that's seems the, that's the terminal keeps, command that you'd mm-hmm. use to remove, uh, to, to control extended attributes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it seems that BBEdit keeps doing this when I create new intended to be executable files. Is this a BBEdit thing or a Catalina thing? I've seen this on more than one of my Macs, so it isn't, as far as I can tell, a weird configuration thing. Um, So while the fix is simple enough, it's annoying because it shouldn't be happening. Well, I think I know why it's happening, Neil. Um, So yeah, I've never heard of this before. So I fired up BBEdit and decided to look through the settings. And if you go to Preferences, Applications... 
um, towards the bottom of that screen, this jumped out at me because it had big red letters or small red letters, actually. Sure. And it said, oh, by the way, sandbox access is not allowed. Mm. I'm like, huh? Hmm. Uh, and to continue, they say, in order for many of its features to work correctly, BB-8 requires your permission to access your files and folders. If you do not allow this access, many of BB-8's features will behave incorrectly in ways that we cannot predict or support. And this sounds like exactly one of those. Uh, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. Um, yeah. So I went to system. I went on my system. Um, I went to system preferences, security and privacy, privacy. To see what's up. I found the BB edit wasn't in the files and folders category, which didn't sound right to me. Yeah. But seeing as how many items in this list were listed as full disk access, I decided to check that out too. And sure enough, Dave, on my system, BB edit was listed, but in the full disk access category. Yeah. But it wasn't checked. Ah, oh yeah. Check that. That now, the thing solve is, that I problem. Don't, now the thing is, I don't recall BB edit ever asking me, if I wanted to enable full disk access. Sure. Um, I don't know why they didn't. Um, the other thing is I also um, uh, did a little surfing and found a, a thing on stackexchange.com. The title of the article being what makes Catalina make a shell script quarantined. Ah, nice. <laughs> that And they pointed, they pointed to the same item. So, uh, so my instincts were good on this one. So, Best I can tell, enable, you know, full disk access. Uh, it sounds like it's off. So turn it on and, and you should be good. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Crazy, man. Huh. Nice find. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. All right. Uh, we have some time for some cool stuff found, John. I think it's uh, it's good to head there. I attended another Showstoppers this week. Actually, I attended two of them. I mean, I, you know, I sat in my office and, and joined a Zoom call. But, you know, they, they do a pretty good job there. And one of the things that I saw was from WD, their new uh, iteration of their My Passport SSD is... Um, is looking great. Uh, they've got, uh, I've got the wrong link in the show notes. Don't I? Um, it now supports USB 10 gig, meaning uh, it'll do a thousand fifty megabytes per second, which it was previously like half that they've got really nice form factors. I'll, I'll try and find the right link um, at some point here because uh, hopefully by the time you hear the show, everything will be good. But, um, but yeah, it was like, I, it was great to see them kind of move that up a notch. Their their previous one had was was a little weird in the speed department uh, based on our tests. So I'm really eager to uh, to test this one out. But it looks like they've they've really kind of you know dug in on this. I love the the 10 gig USB because it you know Thunderbolt's great, but USB is a lot more flexible and it's not taking up you know those valuable Thunderbolt ports because drives usually end their chains and ending the thunderbolt chain is never something we uh we want to do lightly especially for those of us that have like you know two thunderbolt ports so much better to be able to do usb and kind of fan it out so really stoked about that one so yeah so yeah those showstoppers things are good john i uh i think you'd appreciate them mm, all right yeah. i'll have to uh sit in yeah uh and then listener matt sent in uh, uh, cool stuff found via Twitter. 
we were talking last week about how much now I'm, I'm using HomeKit and appreciating having all the cameras, all of my various cameras from different vendors in one place using, you know, HomeKit and Hoobs with HomeBridge to, you know, tie it all together. It's great. Well, he is kicking it up a notch. He said, check out HomeCam app from developer Aaron Pierce. He says uh, it gives you more capability and customization. And uh, one of the things is you can see all of the cameras live simultaneously, which is pretty darn cool because with HomeKit, you've got to like, it'll show you like the relatively most recent snapshot that it pulls, uh, which is pretty cool. John, I was looking at because with setting up HomeBridge for at least one of my cameras, I had to kind of like dig in and find the right URLs. To, to put in for one of my weird cameras, not like the, 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 the cameras from like real vendors weren't a problem, but I think it was like my Foscam, not that Foscam isn't real, but you know, they're a little geekier and you can address them separately. I had to like f- for the, for the home kit or for the home bridge setup, I had to find the URL, like the RTSP URL of the camera for the streaming video. And then also there's an HTTP URL to the camera to get a JPEG, uh, thumbnail, which is great because it means that Homebridge doesn't have to go and pull the stream and pull its own thumbnail out. It can just tell the camera, yeah, give me a thumbnail quick, quick, quick. And it, the camera's like, yep, here you go. And so it can, it can populate that screen, which is good. But, um, but this app being able to show me these things. So I got to check that out. That's, um, I'm pretty stoked about that, John. So anyway, you know, Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, speaking of thumbnails, um, so I'll I'll mention this quick because yeah. I've never been through this before, Dave. So um, I got a new uh, I upgraded the drives in one of my Synologies, mm. um, and I ordered a, a yeah. So I had a smaller Iron Wolf, and I wanted to move it over to the Drobo because one of the drives in my Drobo died. Um, so I ordered another eight terabyte uh, Iron Wolf, okay, uh, to put in the Synology because okay. that's mostly what I have in there, and I ordered it from Amazon. And when I got the notification that it shipped, um, I was surprised by the company they used to ship it, which is Amazon. Oh, so you finally got Amazon deliveries. That's fun. And I've been seeing uh, vans with Prime on the side driving around as of late. So um, and I did free shipping. So in this case, they were like, uh, here you go. But here's the cool thing. It was like, well, how do I track this? Well, you can track it from within. You know, the Amazon website, of course. Sure. But here was the neat thing, Dave. Um, when I, when it was delivered, I got an email with a thumbnail of the package on my doorstop. That's right. Yeah. 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 I didn't. It, it, it was just so they can say, oh, no, we did drop it off. Um, yeah. Because nobody else does that. Last I checked. No, uh, no, it's cool. And you can even I, I've seen that thumbnail come up in a, a notification on my phone. Uh, from the Amazon mm-hmm. app, you know, showing me that. Yeah, it's great. Um, the the deliveries app from June Cloud, which is due for a pretty significant update, like it may have just happened or it's about to happen, uh, will also let you put your Amazon tracking number in and it can track that too if you want to kind of have everything in the same place. I love the deliveries app, but, um, but yeah, Amazon Prime Delivery. Uh, we've, I mean, the weird part is I know Amazon is a smart logistics company, right? I mean, it's, it's what they mm-hmm. do that that's their, you know, that part of their business. Anyway, that's their stock and trade is logistics and having things close to where they need to be delivered and all that stuff. But there are days when we have Amazon at the house, like three separate times. 
and it feels inefficient to me. Now, it may be that each of the trucks is coming from a different, uh, you know, local warehouse or whatever. And they're just, you know, it's like, well, we had this item for you at this warehouse. So we're just going to bring it this way. But it seems inefficient to have three, three trucks from the same company come to the house yeah. every day. But so. The thing is, I'm not a prime member. Um, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You don't need to be prime to, to mm-hmm. take advantage of the, the, you know, the Amazon delivery. Although I highly recommend prime. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I got it, you know, I think it, it started in Kentucky and then, you know, I got it within, within a couple of days because great. I was doing the, uh, free shipping and that's the choice they made. So that's how it was yeah. great. So it was pretty neat, but uh, cool. it's kind of disconcerting that they're like, you know, take It's like they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah well if you had a garage with the right garage door opener or whatever it is um you could give amazon permission mm-hmm. to open your garage put the package in and close the garage too and then of course there's pictures and you know cameras inside your house plus also their thing covering and making sure nobody's doing anything funny so hey mm-hmm. um Big fan of Ift here. We are big fans of Ift here in the Mac Geek Cab family. And this week, listener Matt pointed us uh, to their news that they launched Ift Pro. So Ift is IFTTT.com. If this, then that is what IFTTT stands for. And it's a graphical based drag and drop uh, scripting, if you will, uh, platform that lets you tie in it can be used with all kinds of things. I mean, it can be used with, you know, your local weather or the time or whatever, but you can also tie it in to smart home triggers and things like that. So if your smart home platform can't do a certain thing by tying multiple stuff together, if often is your, your thing, but it can be used for lots of different things, but thus far it's been very simple. It's basically, if this one thing, then do that one thing. Well, if pro Adds multi-step applets, queries and conditional logic, multiple actions, and it lets you have more than three Ift actions in your account. Previously, you could have unlimited. Now, with Ift Pro, the free version, three. Ift Pro, unlimited. Mm. And if you are an Ift user, they they are planning on charging ten bucks a month, nine ninety nine US for Ift Pro. However, because it's new, you can set your own price. Uh, from now until October 7th. And then you can keep that price for your first year of pro. So if you, I think they say it has to be at least $199. Uh, but if you mm-hmm. want to pay $199, then that's great. So they're testing the waters to see what their, what their folks are, are willing to pay. So highly recommend getting your IFT pro account now while you can set the price um, until they do. So yeah, there you go. If pro. Thanks, Matt. Good. Uh, one of the things I saw on um, Showstoppers, John, was the new, uh, I'll call it a printer, it's not, uh, from Cricut, C-R-I-C-U-T, it's called the Cricut Joy. Uh, Cricut, it, it's a cutter uh, where you put like vinyl into it and you load a pattern and then it cuts the pattern. You can make like stickers and and all kinds of things. They, like the things you can make with these crickets are awesome. My daughter had one when she was, um, you know, when she was here at the house, like in middle school and even part of high school. And she was like building her own stickers for her calendar and everything. I mean, it was crazy the stuff that she was doing. And it's and and this new cricket joy is like super portable. It's tiny. 
Um, and it, it'll, it'll, it'll make stuff. So yeah. And like 180 bucks too. So I was, I was pretty stoked about that, John. Have you ever used the cricket machines? You ever seen them? No, no. Look at this cuts 50 plus materials, mm -hmm. including iron on. Oh, wow. So you could make uh, your own t-shirt. Your yeah. Oh, neat. Cardstock, vinyl, paper, and smart materials. TM, whatever those are. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty good. They're, they're pretty, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. I know, uh, Bob, Dr. Mac, uh, loves those things. So, uh, he's a big mm -hmm. fan too. John, I know for us, grilling season is going to get colder. If not end, uh, depends on your tolerance for the cold and how, oh, not, not for me, Dave, how you're, as long as is. I can get to, as long as I can get to my grill, Dave, you're good to go. Uh, I've had to shovel snow sometimes, sure. but, you know, I'm hardcore with grilling. So okay. I, I still have a Weber, which in yeah. my opinion is, is, a pretty good grill yeah yeah they do yeah it's quality grill yeah absolutely um there is a a product out that i am very eager to try and it's called the meter m-e-a-t-e-r it is a completely wireless smart meat thermometer now why this if you've used any of the other you know smart thermometers for your meat you know that you have the probe that goes in the grill and, and, you know, sticks in your, your meat that you're cooking. And then there's a cable that comes out and sits, you know, connects to the thing that sits outside your grill. That's actually sending it back Bluetooth. Usually I think there might be some that are Wi-Fi back to your, you know, your house or whatever. Well, the meter totally wireless. The whole thing lives inside your grill. It's just one little probe. Hmm. And somebody asked, thankfully, on the Showstoppers thing, was like, how do you make it so that this can be okay inside of a grill? Like, how are you not, how are the electronics not getting cooked at, when your grill is at 500 degrees or whatever? And they said, because the meat acts as an insulator. So they actually put the important electronics down the, in the, uh, the part of the 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 shaft of the 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 thermometer that's inside your meat, so it's never going to get warmer than like two hundred degrees, which is great, right? Meats, I, hmm. and there's two thermometers on it. One it, at the at the end, so testing the the temperature of your meat, and the other at the other end, testing the ambient temperature of your grill. That gets really important if you're using a smoker grill and you want to make sure you're you know controlling things over hours. They've got three versions. They start at 69 bucks and go all the way up to 270. The 271 has four probes and built-in Wi-Fi so that uh, you can check your meat from remote. Again, if you're smoking and you're doing like a 12-hour smoke or whatever, it's nice to be able to kind of monitor it, even if you have to run to the store or whatever. So, yeah, I know. I was like, when I saw this, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. The meter. I love the name. So I got to check mm -hmm. those out. I, that, it, yeah. Yeah. For 70 bucks, that sounds like a good deal. So anyway, yeah. Uh, any more, any thoughts or questions on that before we keep going here, John? We're on a roll. Nope. We're on a cool stuff roll. Listener. No, that's a... Yeah. Go, go. Okay. All right. Cool. That's fine. Like, we're, we're doing good. Uh, listener, John tells us about um, something cool from ubiquity called the Unify Smart Power Plug. And what it is, is it's a device that is installed between an AC outlet and the power plug of your router or cable modem. 
And what it does is it continually monitors availability of an actual internet connection where it can get out to the internet. And if the connection drops, it automatically powers down and powers up the modem or router by disconnecting power for, you know, a short period of time. And it's, it's relatively inexpensive, um, especially by Unify standards. But I mean, even by normal standards, I think it's, uh, I'm looking here to make sure. Yeah. 19 bucks. So that's not a bad thing. If you've got like a vacation home or maybe even just your regular home where, you know, things sometimes get funky and restarting either the cable modem or the router is the solution. This might be your answer. So I like it. It's good. Cool. Right, John? Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good price. Cause uh, yeah, yeah, I think I mentioned I got one of the Amazon ones and I think they currently go for about 25 bucks. Okay. um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a competitive price. I mean, if they got one, I know it's pretty good. (laughs) View Sonic was showing off their, uh, VG 1655 portable 15.6 inch 1080p monitor. It's got USB-C. It has its own power plug, but it will provide your laptop power up to 60 watts, which is great uh, over USB-C. So you plug your laptop into this, you plug this into the wall, and now you've got a second screen for your laptop, portable, easy to bring around with you. Like I could see this being really handy if you need, you know, if you're spending a lot of time on the road, you could throw this thing in your suitcase easy and now you've got a the easy second screen to use in your hotel room and all that stuff. So I like it. It's pretty good for 185 bucks. It's cheaper than an iPad to, uh, to do your, your sidecar with. So, you know, there you go. Pretty huh. good. So you, so you connect. Uh, oh, okay. So the video is going through the USB. So you just need a USB C to USB C cable, which it comes with. Plug it yeah. into like your, Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. You just plug so it I, into your MacBook or whatever. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because USB C can carry video. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Nice. Uh, yeah, I haven't. Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I haven't yet used USB C to carry video. So uh, that's neat. Maybe I'll have to oh, get one. Right. How are you getting video out of your Mac Mini? Oh, that's got an HDMI port on it, doesn't it? Yes. Got it. Got it. Okay, John, this next one is a geeky one. It's been on the list for a couple of weeks, and I am super happy Mm -hmm. to talk about it. It is from listener Casey. He says, uh, in episode 828, Bob wrote in talking about using a user alias to make his life simpler and not needing to specify a username when using SSH, which was great. Okay. He says, as someone who lives in SSH land for work, I thought I'd also suggest another method I found handy. If you set up a file under your user home directory named home slash dot SSH. So in the home dot SSH folder config naming this file, just config. So it's the SSH config file. He says uh, you can customize things like username on a per server basis. So if you need to log into, you know, your company account using, you know, one username and your Amazon web services account using your EC2 user and your home machine is Dave and a work server is root, it's easy to do. And he sent us a link which of course is already in the show notes. And so yeah, you set like the host name and then what user you're going to use and you can even use different identity files for your, you know, auto uh, security negotiation so you don't have to type password. And it also allows wildcards. So you can say by default, use this, use that. Awesome. 
So you don't have to, because it, 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 like if anybody's doing SSH on a regular basis, um, you know, for me, I have to type in, you know, SSH like root at this server because my username isn't root. And if I just type SSH server name, it tries to log in as Dave. Well, I don't want to log in as Dave, so I have to put the username and stuff. And then usually I wind up creating a function in my shell to, you know, to do it for me. But this, this is awesome. So I've been messing with this a lot since uh, since Casey wrote it. So thank you, Casey. Fun stuff. Good, right? Hmm. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't SSH that much. Now you you can um you can SSH into OS ten, right? That's why I, I I use SSH to get into my other computers all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to uh, where where do you do that? You have to is enable that a sharing? it. Sharing? It is. You're absolutely right. Yep. System preferences sharing. It's uh remote login. Is what? Um, ah, there is it is. Oh, check. and I have I have that box checked. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ask this age all the time to get into my different Macs. Um, I, I don't know. I just I wind up doing things <laughs> on them. It, you know what I use it for a lot is speed tests. Like if I want to run iPerf. Mm. I log into, you know, a Mac over SSH. I, I run iPerf3 space dash S, and now that sets up an iPerf server on that machine. Now I've already installed iPerf3 with brew space install space iPerf3. But once you do that, then it's just iPerf3 dash S. That sets up a server, and then I can connect uh, iPerf3 dash C, you know, to the, the name or the IP address, and it does it. And then if mm -hmm. I want to do reverse, I add dash R, dash capital R to that. But, you know, it's like, it's fun. Uh, so anyway. It's good. Yeah. Use it all the time. Uh, all right. Uh, I've been talking about cameras, John, recently, and, and I've been using um, two newer ones recently. One set of cameras that I've been uh, really enjoying is the new Eufy Cam 2 Pro. Um, these are uh, fantastic. They, uh, you know, Eufy... The, they they work with HomeKit Secure Video, so you don't have to do anything funny with that. And HomeKit Secure Video is great because it it handles the recording of all of your um, you know clips and everything, and it stores it in iCloud, but it's storing it securely and all of that stuff. And they're fully you know weatherproof and all that stuff. You you plug in their base. Uh, and then connect the cameras to the base and it, and then the base obviously is, you know, etherneted into your, to your network. And, um, I, I've been like super happy with these things. Um, they've got like a year battery life, which is amazing hmm. and really makes a difference when you're setting up an outdoor camera. It, you know, it just like, it takes the, the, the frustration out of it. I've used other, you know, outdoor battery cameras over, over the years and, it's like, you know, you need to charge the battery. It, it seems like when you buy it and it says, oh, the battery lasts a month. You're like, wow, that's great. No, no, it's not great because it feels like every two weeks you're getting battery warnings from the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a slave to these mm -hmm. cameras. So, yeah. So I, I've been I've been really stoked with the the Eufy Cam 2 Pro. Um, another one that I've been uh, enjoying is from Arlo. Their new essential spotlight camera, completely wireless, doesn't even have to be used with a base. So if you have an Arlo base, it, it certainly will work with that. But I was able to connect it directly to my Wi-Fi system at home. So it just connect, you know, connects Wi-Fi. 
And it's got, um, I think they say that the battery will do, you know, close to a year. It, it, uh, it, whatever it said, no, it's not saying it on their website here, but, um, the, you know, the battery is built to last as well, which is great, but it's got a spotlight in the camera that fires up at night when the camera detects motion so that you can actually see, you know, in color, what is happening. Whereas with most cameras, you know, you get the sort of night vision view, which is obviously monochrome and you know, all that. So, um, very cool. And it's full HD, it's 1080p and, you know, like I said, battery powered. So yeah. Um, stoked about that one too. And they, you know, you can set all the motion detection alerts on these things. So it, it knows if it's like people and this, that, and the other thing, it's really cool how all these like the tech, the tech for these cameras has been, you know, blowing me away, John, to be perfectly honest. So I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Good. Any thoughts to share on any of that? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the Ufi and you know, yeah. it looks like it's the same camera assembly as their doorbell. Oh, interesting. Okay. Cause I have their doorbell. Right. And, and it looks right. like the features are, are similar as well. You know, night vision and all that stuff here. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, every now and then I'll, you know, it's fun. Every now and then if I go outside at night, you know, I see there's a little, you know, strip of uh, red LEDs that it uses to do the uh, infrared or illumination. Yeah, yeah uh, the little, yeah, version. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, th- this stuff is cool, man. Like, th- like I think about, you know, now, I mean, I, I get these things and I'm, you know, I mean, you hear my excitement. It's, it's obvious. Hopefully it's even infectious, but it, it it's sincere, but you know, when I take a step back and think about, wait a minute, you know, rewind even 10 years, like this is magic that we've got, you know, the mm. ability to just set this stuff up. I, you know, these things take mm. 10 minutes to set up and then you're just good to go. Like all good. No problem. I don't know. It just, it yeah. amazes me. Yeah. What I like too is um, people kind of expect um, houses these days to probably have one of these. Cause yeah. I remember, it was funny the last time there was a, a, a solicitor on my doorstep. Um, I decided not to answer the door, but also they looked at the camera and, and waved. Nice. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so they were aware that I could see them. And yeah, I basically said, go away. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Yeah. We had somebody posted in our neighborhood group. I don't know. It was a few weeks ago. And they were like, somebody just rang my doorbell and wasn't there. And this was like, you know, 1030 at night or whatever. And then there were like, you know, over the course of the next half hour, there were like four comments um, about other people in the neighborhood having similar experiences. And some people started to get worried. And I'm like, this sounds like kids playing ding dong ditch. And it turns out it was <laughs> the, the kid who it was it finally fessed up to his parents and his his parents had him offer an apology. You know, like. I can't speak for his parents because it's not my place to, but I certainly thought it was great that especially during a pandemic, like kids were finding ways of having fun. And and I, I certainly know I appreciated a good game of ding dong ditch when I was a kid and I would have loved being the victim of one. I mean, I I certainly have it coming to me. Um, But as I pointed out to my neighbor, whose whose kid it was, I said, you know, like. She's like, oh, you know, because I texted with her about it. And, and uh, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, did he did he come to your house? I'm like, no, 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 no. Look, if he came to my house, we would have known about it long before he even got halfway down the driveway. Like we have so many so much technology. I said, your kid's pretty smart. 
and and knows that we're geeks here, like probably avoided us for that reason, because we'd have all kinds of footage of this to share. And she's like, oh, yeah, right. I didn't even think about that. And like, yeah, how do these kids how did they know? Like they wound up hitting four houses or more, maybe in uh, in a neighborhood and never got caught on camera. Like I, I I'm I'm impressed. Like, I don't know how I would. I don't know how you would know that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the problem that we have in the neighborhood as of late, so some of these kids aren't too smart. Sure. Um, the, uh, so we get roving bands of, uh, I'm going to assume, teenagers sure. on camera. And what they like to do is to check people's cars to see if they're open and take whatever looks... Uh, the thing is, is like, uh, kid, do you realize that you're on camera yeah, and you're probably going to get you. busted? Yeah. Yeah. They clearly don't. So may- maybe my neighbor's kid didn't think about that and truly just got lucky. But um, yeah, more power to him. I don't know. Because I mean, if I walked into someone's driveway and all of a sudden a, a spotlight came on, I'd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's time <laughs> to go. Leave because it's like someone sees me. Someone sees me. Something sees me. Something's aware of my presence. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. We have our lights on outside at night, which, you know, was my first real, and this was years ago, first real smart home moment of automation where it was like, wait a minute, this really is life changing because now I don't have to think about turning my my outside lights on and off at night. I know it sounds simple, but it's really mm-hmm. nice to not, A, not think about it and B, have it done for me if I'm out. So if I come home at, you know, 9 p.m., the lights are already on. The house isn't just dark like it would have been uh, in the past. And then they go off, of course. Mm-hmm. Once they go off, though, I have a separate script run if there's ever uh, motion in the driveway and it turns on the lights. And I have it go to a nice kind of dim orange um, because mm-hmm. it's for me mostly. If I'm overworking at the office or, you know, driving in after late after a gig, I want to be able to walk across the driveway from the office to the house uh, and see what I'm doing. But I, you know, I don't need bright, bright lights and neither do my neighbors. So I just set them to a nice, you know, kind of dim orange and, and then have them turn off after 10 minutes of that. So mm-hmm. it's fun setting up these automations. It's I, and I think I can't remember if I'm still using if for that one or not. It's either, either in a I, I basically, I almost said the word, John. Um, I basically mm-hmm. have all of my, my home, like automation standardized inside the the, the Amazon A Lady, uh, just mm-hmm. because it's it's fairly robust for those and it it sees everything that I have directly and all that stuff. So for the most part, they're there. But um, yeah, I don't know, John. That's the end. All right, I know. That's it. We don't have uh, we don't have any more time this week. Is what it that's what it's come down to, my friend. So, do you have anything else to add though before we before we head on our way? Um, oh, there's a Apple event on the uh, 15th, which would be tomorrow from the day this releases and could Mm be any time could be even in the past, depending on when you choose to listen to this. So, yeah. Yep. I'm excited about this one. I'm, I'm curious to see. There's there's lots of good little percolating rumors about what we might see. We might even see a Silicon Mac or an Apple. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So if if we see that, I'm excited. I'm, I might even be ready to buy. So I don't know. All right. What are you looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? I don't know. 
All right. Well, we'll have to see what All they right. introduce. Let's see what it is. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in all your cool stuff found and your questions and your tips and all that stuff. It's been super great to have, um, you know, I mean, we're just like we have a, a plethora of content here and it's it's great to be able to craft a show out of everything you folks have sent in. So thank you for that. Thanks for checking out our sponsors. Obviously, Nebbia.com, Barebones.com, Mac.Cashfly.com. John, what were you going to say? What did I miss? No, nope, no. Nope. Oh, I thought I heard you. I thought I heard you say something. All right. Um, thanks to all of our premium contributors, MacGeekUp.com slash premium. Uh, and uh, thanks to Barry for being our first one. We will share specific names next week, I promise. But things, time got away from us today. We're, we're already over an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, that's what we got. And um, I think that's all. That's, that's what I have. So... Thanks, everybody. Thanks to uh, Cashfly for providing the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to all of our sponsors in the, uh, you know, in the marketplace there. SmileSoftware.com slash podcast. Max Sales. Yeah. Um, yes, John. Now, Dave. Yeah. Barry, I think, has something to say to uh, uh, before we leave. Oh, all right. Well, by all means. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Bye. Wait. No, tell him to say it one more time. We didn't hear him. Now. Don't get caught. It's good advice. Made on back. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> <laughs>